Chapter Fourteen, Section One of Belinda. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Velwest. Belinda by Maria Edgeworth. Chapter Fourteen, Part One, The Exhibition. Two hours after her ladyship had retired to her room, as Belinda was passing by the door to go to her own bedchamber, she heard Lady Delacour call to her. "'Belinda, you need not walk so softly. I am not asleep. Come in, will you, my dear? I have something of consequence to say to you. Is all the world gone?' "'Yes, and I thought that you were asleep. I hope you're not in pain.' "'Not just at present, thank you, but—' that was a terrible embrace of poor little helena's you see to what accidents i should be continually exposed if i had that child always about me and yet she seems of such an affectionate disposition that i wish it were possible to keep her at home sit down by my bedside my dear belinda and i will tell you what i have resolved upon belinda sat down and lady delacour was silent for some minutes I am resolved, said she, to make one desperate effort for my life. New plans, new hopes of happiness have opened to my imagination. And, with my hopes of being happy, my courage rises. I am determined to submit to the dreadful operation which alone can radically cure me. You understand me, but it must be kept a profound secret." I know of a person who could be got to perform this operation with the utmost secrecy. But surely, said Belinda, safety must be your first object. No, secrecy is my first object. Nay, don't reason with me. It is a subject on which I cannot, will not reason. Hear me. I will keep Helena with me for a few days. She was surprised by what passed in the library this evening. I must remove all suspicion from her mind." there is no suspicion in her mind said belinda so much the better she shall go immediately to school or to oakley park i will then stand my trial for life or death and if i live i will be what i have never yet been a mother to helena if i die you and clarence hervey will take care of her i know you will that young man is worthy of you belinda if I die, I charge you to tell him that I knew his value, that I had a soul capable of being touched by the eloquence of virtue. Lady Delacour, after a pause, said in an altered tone, Do you think, Belinda, that I shall survive this operation? The opinion of Dr. X, said Belinda, must certainly be more satisfactory than mine and she repeated what the doctor had left with her in writing upon this subject. "'You see,' said Belinda, "'that Dr. X is by no means certain that you have the complaint which you dread.' "'I am certain of it,' said Lady Delacour, with a deep sigh. Then, after a pause, she resumed. "'So it is in the doctor's opinion that I shall inevitably destroy myself if— from a vain hope of secrecy i put myself into ignorant hands these are his own words are they very strong and he is prudent to leave that opinion in writing now whatever happens he cannot be answerable for measures which he does not guide 
nor you either my dear you have done all that is prudent and proper but i must beg you to recollect that i am neither a child nor a fool that i am come to years of discretion and that i am not now in the delirium of a fever consequently there can be no pretence for managing me in this particular i must insist upon managing myself i have confidence in the skill of the person whom i shall employ dr x very likely would have none because the man may not have a diploma for killing or curing in form that is nothing to the purpose it is i that am going to undergo the operation it is my health my life that is risked and if i am satisfied that is enough secrecy as i told you before is my first object and cannot you said belinda depend with more security upon the honour of a surgeon who is at the head of his profession and who has a high reputation at stake than upon a vague promise of secrecy from some obscure quack who has no reputation to lose no said lady delacour i tell you my dear that i cannot depend upon any of these honourable men i have taken means to satisfy myself upon this point their honour and foolish delicacy would not allow them to perform such an operation for a wife without the knowledge privity consent etc 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 of her husband now lord delacour's knowing the thing is quite out of the question why my lady delacour why said belinda with great earnestness surely a husband has the strongest claim to be consulted upon such an occasion let me entreat you to tell lord delacour your intention and then all will be right say yes my dear friend let me prevail upon you said belinda taking her ladyship's hand and pressing it between both of hers with the most affectionate eagerness lady delacour made no answer but fixed her eyes upon belinda's lord delacour continued miss portman deserves this from you by the great interest the increasing interest that he has shown of late about your health his kindness and handsome conduct the other morning certainly pleased you and you have now an opportunity of showing that confidence in him which his affection and constant attachment to you merit i trouble myself very little about the constancy of lord delacour's attachment to me said her ladyship coolly withdrawing her hand from belinda whether his lordship's affection for me has of late increased or diminished is an object of perfect indifference to me but if i were inclined to reward him for his late attentions i should apprehend that we might hit upon some better reward than you have pitched upon unless you imagine that lord delacour has a peculiar taste for surgical operations i cannot conceive how his becoming my confidant upon this occasion could have an immediate tendency to increase his affection for me about which affection i don't care a straw as you better than any one else must know for i am no hypocrite i have laid open my whole heart to you belinda for that very reason said miss portman i am eager to use the influence which i know i have in your heart for your happiness 
i am convinced that it will be absolutely impossible that you should carry on this scheme in the house with your husband without it being discovered if he discover it by accident he will feel very differently from what he would do if he were trusted by you for heaven's sake my dear cried lady delacour let me hear no more about lord delacour's feelings but allow me then to speak of my own said belinda i cannot be concerned in this affair if it is to be concealed from your husband you will do about that as you think proper said lady delacour haughtily your sense of propriety towards lord delacour is i observe stronger than your sense of honour towards me but i make no doubt that you act upon principle just principle you promised never to abandon me but when i most want your assistance you refuse it from consideration for lord delacour a scruple of delicacy absolves a person of nice feelings i find from a positive promise a new and convenient code of morality belinda though much hurt by the sarcastic tone in which her ladyship spoke mildly answered that the promise she had made to stay with her ladyship during her illness was very different from an engagement to assist her in such a scheme as she had now in contemplation lady delacour suddenly drew the curtain between her and belinda saying well my dear at all events i am glad to hear you don't forget your promise of staying with me you are perhaps prudent to refuse me your assistance all circumstances considered good night i have kept you up too long good night good night said belinda drawing aside the curtain you will not be displeased with me when you reflect coolly the light blinds me said lady delacour and she turned her face away from miss portman and added in a drowsy voice i will think of what has been said some time or other but just now i would rather go to sleep than say or hear any more for i am more than half asleep already belinda closed the curtains and left the room but lady delacour notwithstanding the drowsy tone in which she pronounced these last words was not in the least inclined to sleep a passion had taken possession of her mind which kept her broad awake the remainder of the night the passion of jealousy the extreme eagerness with which belinda had urged her to consult lord delacour and to trust him with her secret displeased her not merely as an opposition to her will and undue attention to his lordship's feelings but as confirmation strong of a hint which had been dropped by sir philip baddely but which never till now had appeared to her worthy of a moment's consideration sir philip had observed that if a lady had any hopes of being a viscountess it is no wonder she thought a baronet beneath her notice now thought lady delacour this is not impossible in the first place belinda portman is niece to mrs stanhope she may have all her aunt's art and the still greater art to conceal it under the mask of openness and simplicity volto sciolto pensieri stretti is the grand maxim of the stanhope school the moment lady delacour's mind turned to suspicion her ingenuity rapidly supplied her with circumstances and arguments to confirm and justify her doubts 
miss portman fears that my husband is growing too fond of me she says he has been very attentive to me of late yes so he has and on purpose to disgust him with me she immediately urges me to tell him that i have a loathsome disease and that i am about to undergo a horrid operation how my eyes have been blinded by her artifice this last stroke was rather too bold and has opened them effectually and now i see a thousand things that escaped me before even to-night the sortes virgiliane the myrtle-leaf miss portman's mark left in the book exactly at the place where marmontel gives a receipt for managing a husband of lord delacour's character ah ah by her own confession she had been reading this studying it yes and she has studied it to some purpose she has made that poor weak lord of mine think her an angel how he ran on in her praise the other day when he honoured me with a morning visit that morning visit too was of her suggestion and the bank-notes as he like a simpleton let out in the course of the conversation had been offered to her first she with a delicacy that charmed my short-sighted folly begged that they might go through my hands how artfully managed mrs stanhope herself could not have done better so she can make lord delacour do whatever she pleases and she condescends to make him behave prettily to me and desires him to bring me peace offerings of bank-notes she is in fact become my banker mistress of my house my husband and myself ten days i have been confined to my room truly she has made good use of her time and i fool that i am have been thanking her for all her disinterested kindness then her attention to my daughter disinterested too as i thought but good heavens what an idiot i have been she looks forward to be the stepmother of helena she would win the simple child's affections even before my face and show lord delacour what a charming wife and mother she would make he said some such thing to me as well as i remember the other day then her extreme prudence she never coquettes not she with any of the young men who come here on purpose to see her is this natural absolutely unnatural artifice artifice to contrast herself with me in lord delacour's opinion is certainly her object even to clarence hervey with whom she was or pretended to be smitten how cold and reserved she has grown of late and how haughtily she rejected my advice when i hinted that she was not taking the way to win him i could not comprehend her she had no designs on clarence hervey she assured me immaculate purity i believe you then her refusal of sir philip baddely a baronet with fifteen thousand a year to be refused by a girl who has nothing and merely because he is a fool how could i be such a fool as to believe it worthy niece of mrs stanhope i know you now and now i recollect that extraordinary letter of mrs stanhope's which i snatched out of miss portman's hands some months ago full of 
blanks and innuendos, and references to some letter which Belinda had written about my disputes with my husband. From that moment to this, Miss Portman has never let me see another of her aunt's letters. So I may conclude they are all in the same style, and I make no doubt that she has instructed her niece all this time how to proceed. Now I know why she always puts Mrs. Stanhope's letters into her pocket the moment she receives them, and never opens them in my presence. And I have been laying open my whole heart, telling my whole history, confessing all my faults and follies to this girl, and I have told her that I am dying. I have taught her to look forward with joy and certainty to the coronet on which she has fixed her heart. On my knees I conjured her to stay with me to receive my last breath. Oh, dupe, miserable dupe that I am! Could nothing warn me? In the moment that I discovered the treachery of one friend, I went and prostrated myself to the artifices of another, of another a thousand times more dangerous, ten thousand times more beloved. For what was Harriet Freck in comparison with Belinda Portman? Harriet Freck, even whilst she diverted me most, I half despised. But Belinda, oh, Belinda, how entirely I have loved, trusted, admired, adored, respected, revered you. Exhausted by the emotions to which she had worked herself up by the force of her powerful imagination, Lady Delacour, after passing several restless hours in bed, fell asleep late in the morning, and when she awaked, Belinda was standing by her bedside. "'What could you be dreaming of?' said Belinda, smiling. "'You started and looked at me with such horror when you opened your eyes, as if I had been your evil genius.' It is not in human nature, thought Lady Delacour, suddenly overcome by the sweet smile and friendly tone of Belinda. It is not in human nature to be so treacherous. And she stretched out both her arms to Belinda, saying, You, my evil genius, know, my guardian angel, my dearest Belinda, kiss me and forgive me. Forgive you for what? said Belinda. I believe you are dreaming still, and I am sorry to awaken you, but I am come to tell you a wonderful thing, that Lord Delacour is up and dressed, and actually in the breakfast-room, and that he has been talking to me this half-hour. Of what, do you think? Of Helena. He was quite surprised, he said, to see her grown such a fine girl, and he declares that he no longer regrets that she was not a boy, and he says that he will dine at home to-day, on purpose to drink Helena's health in his new burgundy, and, in short, I never saw him in such good spirits or so agreeable. I always thought he was one of the best-natured men I had ever seen. Will you not get up to breakfast? Lord Delacour has asked for you ten times within these five minutes. Indeed said Lady Delacour, rubbing her eyes. "'All this is vastly wonderful, but I wish you had not awakened me so soon.' "'Nay, nay,' said Belinda, "'I know by the tone of your voice that you do not mean what you say. I know you will get up, and come down to us directly, so I will send Marriott.' Lady Delacour got up and went down to breakfast, in much uncertainty what to think of Miss Portman, but ashamed to let her into her mind, 
and still more afraid that lord delacour should suspect her of doing him the honour to be jealous belinda had not the least guess of what was really passing in her ladyship's heart she implicitly believed her expressions of complete indifference to her lord and jealousy was the last feeling which miss portman would have attributed to lady delacour because she unfortunately was not sufficiently aware that jealousy can exist without love the idea of lord delacour as an object of attachment or of a coronet as an object of ambition or of her friend's death as an object of joy were so foreign to belinda's innocent mind that it was scarcely possible she could decipher lady delacour's thoughts her ladyship affected to be in remarkable good spirits this morning declared that she had never felt so well since her illness ordered her carriage as soon as breakfast was over and said she would take helena to maliardet's to see the wonders of his little conjurer and his singing bird nothing equal to maliardet's singing bird has ever been seen or heard of my dear helena since the days of abulcasem's peacock in the persian tales since lady anne percival has not shown you these charming things i must but i hope you won't tire yourself mamma said the little girl i'm afraid you will said belinda and you know my dear added lord delacour that miss portman who is so very obliging and good-natured could go just as well with helena and i am sure would rather than that you should tire yourself or give yourself an unnecessary trouble miss portman is very good answered lady delacour hastily but i think it no unnecessary trouble to give my daughter any pleasure in my power as to its tiring me i'm neither dead nor dying yet for the rest miss portman who understands what is proper blushes for you as you see my lord when you propose that she who is not yet a married woman should chaperone a young lady it is quite out of rule and mrs stanhope would be shocked if her niece could or would do such a thing to oblige anybody lord delacour was too much in the habit of hearing sarcastic and to him uncomprehensible speeches from her ladyship to take any extraordinary notice of this and if belinda blushed it was merely from the confusion into which she was thrown by the piercing glance of lady delacour's black eyes a glance which neither guilt nor innocence could withstand belinda imagined that her ladyship still retained some displeasure from the conversation that had passed the preceding night and the first time that she was alone with lady delacour she again touched upon the subject in hopes of softening or convincing her at all events my dear friend said she you will not i hope be offended by this sincerity with which i speak i can have no object but your safety and happiness sincerity never offends me was her ladyship's cold answer and all the time that they were out together she was unusually ceremonious to miss portman and there would have been but little conversation if helena had not been present to whom her mother talked with fluent gaiety when they got to spring gardens helena exclaimed oh there's lady anne percival's carriage and charles and edward with her they are going to the same place that we are i dare say for i heard charles ask lady anne to take him to see maliardet's little bird mr hervey mentioned it to us and he said it was a curious piece of machinery i wish you had told me sooner that lady anne was likely to be there 
I don't wish to meet her so awkwardly. I am not well enough yet, indeed, to go to these odious, hot, close places, and besides, I hate seeing sights. Helena, with much good humour, said that she would rather give up seeing the sight than be troublesome to her mother. When they came to Maliardet's, however, Lady Delacour saw Mrs. Blank getting out of her carriage, and to her she consigned Helena and Miss Portman, saying that she would take a turn or two in the part and call for them in half an hour. When the half-hour was over and her ladyship returned, she carelessly asked, as they were going home, whether they had been pleased with their visit to the bird and the conjurer. "'Oh, yes, mamma," said Helena. "'And do you know that one of the questions that the people ask the conjurer is, "'Where is the happiest family to be found?' "'And Charles and Edward immediately said, "'If he is a good conjurer, if he tells the truth, he'll answer at Oakley Park.' "'Miss Portman, had you any conversation with Lady Anne Percival?' said Lady Delacour coldly. "'A great deal,' said Belinda, "'and such as I am sure you would have liked. "'And so far from being a ceremonious person, "'I think I never saw anybody who had such easy, engaging manners.' "'And did she ask you, Helena, again, to go with her to that place "'where the happiest family in the world is to be found?' "'Oakley Park? No, Mamma. she said that she was very glad that I was with you, "'but she asked Miss Portman to come to see her whenever it was in her power.' "'And could Miss Portman withstand such a temptation?' "'You know that I'm engaged to your ladyship,' said Belinda. "'Lady Delacour bowed. "'But from what passed last night,' said she, "'I was afraid that you might repent your engagement to me, "'and if so, I give up my bond. "'I should be miserable if I apprehended that any one, "'but more especially Miss Portman, "'felt herself a prisoner in my house.' "'Dear Lady Delacour, I do not feel myself a prisoner. "'I have always, till now, felt myself a friend in your house. "'But we'll talk of this another time.' do not look at me with so much coldness do not speak to me with so much politeness i will not let you forget that i am your friend i do not wish to forget it belinda said lady delacour with emotion i am not ungrateful though i may seem capricious bear with me there now you look like yourself again and i am satisfied cried belinda as to going to oakley park i give you my word i have not the most distant thoughts of it i stay with you from choice and not from compulsion believe me i do believe you said lady delacour and for a moment she was convinced that belinda stayed with her for her own sake alone but the next minute she suspected that lord delacour was the secret cause of her refusing to go to oakley park his lordship dined at home this day and two or three succeeding days and he was not intoxicated from Monday till Thursday. These circumstances appeared to his lady very extraordinary. In fact, he was pleased and amused with his little daughter, Helena, and while she was yet almost a stranger to him, he wished to appear to her in the most agreeable and respectable light possible. One day after dinner, Lord Delacour, who was in a remarkably good humour, said to her ladyship, "'My dear, you know that your new carriage was broken almost to pieces the night when you were overturned. Well, I have had it all set to rights again, and new painted, and it is all complete, except the hammer-cloth, which must have new fringe. What colour would you have the fringe?' 
"'What do you say, Miss Portman?' said her ladyship. "'Black and orange would look well, I think,' said Belinda, "'and would suit the lace of your liveries, would it not?' "'Certainly. Black and orange, then,' said Lord Delacour. "'It shall be.' "'If you ask my opinion,' said Lady Delacour, "'I am for blue and white, to match the cloth of the liveries.' "'Blue and white, then it shall be,' said Lord Delacour. "'Nay, Miss Portman has better taste than I have, and she says black and orange, my lord.' "'Then you'll have it black and orange, will you?' said Lord Delacour. "'Just as you please,' said Lady Delacour, and no more passed. End of Part 1 of Chapter 14